very Merry Christmas to all of you. If you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, turn to Galatians 3. That's where I'm going to anchor this morning. It's been good for me and my family. We have enjoyed this <laughs> incredible weather. I still, it it's blows my mind that it could be so warm in this place. And so we are just enjoying the weather. Day after Christmas, we went down into Charleston and we did the whole carriage ride and got the history lesson and saw much of the good old city, the good old holy city of Charleston. And uh, yesterday we went to Patriots Point and so my son is He's still beaming from seeing uh, the Yorktown and um, much of the relics there uh, going through the maze of, of just amazing places. So we have just been enjoying this festive season of Christmas. And so again, I just want to um, bid you a very Merry Christmas. Will you pray with me? I just like to pray for myself before I begin to open God's word this morning. Father, send forth your word and melt us. Spirit, come. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see the glory of this child that came named Jesus. Jesus, we want you this morning. We want to come headlong into this service and go hard after you. To you we want, to you we desire. We want your heart, we want your mind. We want to see what you see. We want to feel what you feel. So Father, As I decrease, may your son increase. May your spirit enable us to learn, to know, to feel the way we ought. To help us to know that even though we're post-Advent and post-Christmas, we are here to glorify in the cross. We march now to Lent in the cross of Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but your word will stand forever. In the name of Jesus, I pray. All God's people said. Again, to all of your family, to all of your loved ones, a very Merry Christmas. We are now post-Advent, post-manger scene. We are Uh, We've come kind of to this point, perhaps, maybe in some of us here this morning, deflation. (laughs) We, We are now after Christmas. And it can be, perhaps not with all of us here, but it can be this sort of post Christmas blues, right? I I don't know about you, but this is the way I can kind of tend to be. I can sort of get depressed because the tree goes away, the lights all disappear, and we kind of sort of put everything back in the box, and Christmas is now gone for another year. And so I thought I would begin this morning with, just kind of by way of introduction, with this poem, entitled, Twas the Day After Christmas. 
Plus, the day after Christmas, when all through the place, there were arguments and depression. Even mom had a long face. The stockings hung empty. The house was a mess, (laughs) much like mine. The new clothes didn't fit, and dad was under stress. The family was irritable, the children no one could please, because the instructions for the swing set were written in Chinese. (laughs) Nobody knew Mandarin. The bells no longer jingled. No carolers came around. The sink was stacked with dishes. The tree was turning brown. The stores were full of people returning things that fizzled and failed. The shoppers were discouraged because everything they'd bought was now on half-price sale. Twas the day after Christmas. The spirit of joy had disappeared. The only hope on the horizon was 12 bowl games the first day of the new year. (laughs) And as I told Gary in the 8 o'clock, if you're a Carolina fan, that bowl game is now come and gone. So now there's nothing on the horizon. Fitting poem, perhaps, but for those of us that know the true meaning of Christmas, we should not be depressed nor deflated. The wonderful bells, as I said last week, of John 1 and Luke 2 and Matthew 1 should never grow silent. They should never grow silent. The wonderful time of the season should just prolong throughout the entire year. And that's really exactly what Paul is doing for us in Galatians 3 this morning. He's trying to jolt us into knowing and believing and feeling that there's there's purpose that Jesus came into this world. He wants to kind of get us going a bit, jolt us to knowing that there is purpose in Christ coming. Right? That's what John does in John 1. The Word became flesh for a purpose. He was born of a Virgin Mary for a purpose. And namely, it is this. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, came to redeem us. Redeem us from what? The law. By becoming a curse for us. Succinctly, I think we could put it this way, and it's four words. Um, All I want you to remember in the weeks to come are these four words. It's probably all that you're going to remember anyways. Four words. Our curse, his cross. Our curse, his cross. Let me say it one more time. Our curse, his cross. Advent season is a reminder again of the promises for us in and through Christ. But Galatians 3 is a little different. It has a different feel, somewhat convicting. It kind of brings this hammer blow down 
upon us that Paul wants us to remember, and it's this. It's a reminder that we as a parish, or St. Paul's, that we are in constant danger of false assurances. Satan is continuously at work tempting us to think and to feel that because we use God talk, come to church on Sunday mornings when this parish is open, pray at mealtimes, we avoid gross sins, we therefore are under God's blessing. And Paul is saying there could be nothing farther from the truth. Because here in the book of Galatians, he is poignant, he is stabbing this group of people called the Judaizers who do all of these things and are under God's curse. The disciples, the apostles, even the mother of Jesus, Mary, found out that there is really no inside track to Jesus doesn't matter if you know him intimately, if you're his mother, his father, earthly father, his brothers. His, it didn't matter. Mary, did you know? We can ponder that question. But what we do know is that like the disciples and all of those that believe in Christ, Mary had to believe that her son was born to die for the sins of the world. Divine blessing and divine curse are the issues here in Galatians 3. And that's what we see in chapter 3 and verse 10. Notice, for all who rely on the works of the law are under what? A curse. In other words, Paul is saying if you think your sins will be justified by just doing the to-do list, Works of the law by saying all the right things, by doing all the right things, Paul says you are cursed. He's not being mean. Don't misunderstand him. He's not being mean. He's saying you're lost in your sins. The law will not justify you. And we can get into this thinking as churchgoers. It kind of perceives that what we're really doing here in Galatians 3 is talking about those that go to church and those who don't go to church. <laughs> kind of those who call on the name of the Lord and those who don't. And nothing could be farther from the truth. It is between those on the one hand who have been crucified with Christ, now living in poverty, live in continual reliance on the living Christ, and those, on the other hand, who have never really died to self-reliance, whose religious activity, though moral and intense, is all an exercise in just self-reformation. And oh, how we can get into that this time of year, right? New Year's coming, 2015, on the precipice, right? We're going to make all the promises of the world. We're going to get skinnier. We're going to do all the right things. Self-reformation is about to land on all of us. This one group glories only in the cross of Christ by which they died to all but God. The other group extols the powers and potentials of the self and diminishes the grace of God and the cross of Christ. The one group of church members enjoys the blessings of God 
promise to Abraham and his descendants. The other group of church members is under a divine curse. So here's what Paul and I leave you this morning. Two indescribable gifts, if you will. Two of the greatest gifts of Christmas. Namely, verse 13. Christ. Here's the first gift. Christ, the curse bearer. Notice verse 13. Christ redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. Paul's life before that day on the road to Damascus was one devoted to legalistic law-keeping. He also knew that compared to others who were on this same hell-bent legalistic path, that he excelled them all. Right? He said, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I did it all to the T. He didn't know the first thing about obedience that comes from faith and reliance on the Holy Spirit. And so he was under a curse with the rest of his kinsmen who were striving to establish their own righteousness, as he says in Romans 10.3. And what hope is there when you've tried to bribe God with your pitiful virtues? When you have insulted this all-sufficient creator by exalting yourself to barter with him your morality in exchange for his mercy. The bad news this morning is there's no hope at all. If that's what we're doing here this morning. We're just playing church. But the good news is in his remarkable love, he's willing to transfer your sentence of death to another. You see, the great gift of Christmas and the heart of the gospel is that Christ, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Jesus was not guilty one moment of legalism. He trusted his Father perfectly, lived in the power of the Spirit. He fulfilled the law perfectly because he knew that at the root of the law it taught faith, which worked through love. So when we experience the curse of the law on the cross, it was not his own, but ours. Our curse, his cross. I think Isaiah 53 says it best. Listen to these words from the prophet. Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded for what? Our transgressions, my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made 
me whole. And with his stripes, I am healed. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. We've turned each our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The glorious good news and gift of Christmas is that God was made flesh. God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. Second gift. Second gift there, notice, if I can find my notes. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> the second gift there is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Notice verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive what? The promised what? Notice. Spirit through faith. The second glorious gift of Christmas is that through faith we have received the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. It is what gives us charisma. It is what motivates our heart to obey, to love, to not just be law keepers, but to have our hearts motivated through the power of Christ so that we can be obedient to Christ. There's a great illustration of this man who did a study of these mountain climbers. And what he did is he, goes, he went up the mountain with them and he noticed that when the sky was clear, and the peak was visible to their sight, they were motivated. They climbed like never before. They were energetic. They were ready to ascend. But when the clouds came in, he noticed something in the climbers. He noticed that they became sullen, unmotivated, discouraged. And as I thought about this illustration, the same can be true with us, can it? When our eyes are on the cross, there's a bounce in our step. There is joy found in our hearts. But when we get our eyes focused horizontally, when we're on just the, just the depression of just another passing Advent season, it's come and gone, we can get discouraged. We can take our eyes off the cross and just become like those climbers. 
And as I thought about this illustration, as I thought about myself, that, you know, we, we are at the bookends of Advent and Lent. And now we march to Christ's death and that empty tomb. And how we're to keep our eyes on the cross. I remember in a church service much like this, holding the, fan, holding the hand of my father, my mother, we would sing these old hymns of the faith. And I'm going to pray in just a minute, and Bonnie is going to sing this old hymn. You may remember it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his glorious face. Remember, the things of this world will grow dimly when you look full in his glory and grace. St. Paul's this season, as we are now post-Advent, post-manger scene, keep now your eyes on the cross. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has resurrected. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to see. Help us to know that you've come for a purpose to redeem us all from the law. And through this, we might have life. As Paul said here in Galatians, heirs, princesses, princes of the king, kings and lord of lords. We are heirs to this promise. And today we're grateful, we're thankful that we can call you Lord. Lord of our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray all God's people said, Amen and Amen.